We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Just looking at different aspects of our walk of faith, a journey of faith. We've talked about faith that designs how you design your world through faith in God. We've talked about faith that dominates circumstances and situations. Faith that rests in God. Faith that receives from God. Uh, Ever-increasing faith, how our faith can keep growing and uh, getting stronger. We talked about the good fight of faith and faith that ministers. And the last time we met, we talked about faith that endures, that stands through the test of time. And this morning, I just want to conclude this, this entire season of just dwelling on the subject of faith by just bringing our attention to some of the basics, the basic principles of faith. So I want to just talk about this morning on the principles of faith. Kind of just tie all this in together and uh, talk about some of the basics. This message may be very simple for those of you who've been here, who've heard sermons from here. You say, well, I've heard this several times and I think we need to hear them again just to be reminded of uh, things we have heard and be encouraged to keep walking in them. This is like faith 101, the basic message on faith. Uh, You know, we all say that we have faith in God. I carry faith in my heart. I believe in God. I believe His Word. But then when we ask somebody, can you explain to me, you know, how do you actually operate your faith in God? How do you exercise this faith? And then many of us go silent because, you know, we know this concept of having faith in God, but how do you actually exercise your faith in God and cause your faith in God to bring about some results? How do you do it? Are there principles that guide us in this? And uh, many of us are unable to really explain that. And so uh, this morning, I just want to go over some of the basic principles of faith. I want us to get it really strong and very clear in our spirit that this is how we flow. This is how we operate our faith in God. And faith, you know, is both essentially a relationship, but based on that relationship, you have some transactions with God. The word transaction may not be very nice, but it kind of helps to explain that you do engage with God based on your relationship. And maybe this example of a bank account might help us. You know, your bank account, your account with a bank is your relationship with the bank. But just having an account with a bank, a relationship with a bank, will not serve you any good if you don't know how to make transactions, if you don't know how to make deposits and withdrawals. Are you with me? So you need to know. You can't go to the bank and say, I have a relationship with you. How come no money is coming into my pocket? There's a way in which you withdraw money. That's a transaction. You need to know how to do it. So in as much as faith is a relationship with God that we build and grow over time, we must also understand how to transact with God. It's a very poor word, but uh, pardon me for using it, but how do you engage with God? How do you exchange? How do you receive what He wants to give you? And how do you release to Him what you want to give to Him? We need to have understand those principles. And that's what I want to address this morning. Just very quickly go through some basic principles of having faith in God. To begin with, as we want to exercise our faith in God, 
We must understand that faith is based on the promise of God. Faith is based on the promise of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. See, faith is not mental gymnastics. You know, some of us like tire ourselves out trying to have faith. It's probably because you're trying to play games in your mind. And faith is not mental gymnastics. Faith is simply a trusting of the promises of God. And therefore, faith is very secure. Because heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will never pass away. There can't be any more secure ground or secure basis for your faith. Faith has something very strong, very solid, very secure, very stable, very sustainable that undergirds it. It's the word of God. It's the promise of God. And you and I can have faith, total confidence in the word simply because God himself is not a man who should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he has spoken, he will make it good. If he has said something, he will keep it. So faith is based on the word of God. It's very, very, very secure. God has spoken. Therefore, I believe this. It will come to pass. It's based on the promise. Now sometimes it may be a prophetic word. A word that God has spoken to you personally. And that's valid too. Because it's a personal word, a prophetic word, a word that God has spoken into your spirit and you're resting, you're anchoring your life on that promise. Faith is based on the promise of God. Number two about the principle of faith is this, that faith is based on a conviction of the will of God. Faith is convinced of the will of God. And this is one area many of us struggle. And I think this is one thing that really destabilizes The faith of many. It's concerning the will of God. Now, the will of God is quite simple. Unlike the way many of us tend to make it. It's pretty simple. If you want to know a person's will, you just need to get to know the person. God's will is always consistent with his nature. Isn't that simple? God's will is always consistent with his nature. God will not will something that is contrary to who he is, to his nature. So what is the will of God? Just ask yourself, who is the God that I know? What kind of a God is he? Is it God's will to heal? Absolutely, because he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Is it God's will to provide? Absolutely, because he said, I am the Lord, your provider. Is it God's will to cause you to triumph? Absolutely, because he said, I am Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who gives you the victory. God's will is always consistent with his nature. God's will is always consistent with his promise. Because he will never promise you something he didn't will for you to have. So why are you struggling about the will of God? Because you've heard his promise. His promise is a revelation of his will. His promise reveals to you what he wills for you to have. Didn't he promise that he will heal us of all our sicknesses? Didn't he promise that he will supply for all of our needs? Didn't he promise that he will cause us to triumph in every circumstance? His will is consistent with his promise. Amen? Now the the problem is this. If you are not sure about the will of God, you can never really exercise faith. You know, imagine you're praying for a sick person and you say, Lord, if it be thy will, heal him. 
That's the wrong way to pray. Because if you're not sure that God's will is to heal him, how can you really release faith towards that? Are you all with me? You see, this is our church, so I can be very direct with you. Right? And I preached in some other church. I had to sugarcoat it nicely. But here I can be very straight with you. How many times did Jesus pray, if it be thy will? Only once. But here you and I pray, if it be thy will, for everything. Why? Because we are not convinced about the will of God. It's probably because you don't know God. Because when you know him, you know his will is consistent with his nature. It's probably because we don't know the promise of God. Because when you know his promise, you know that every promise of God is a revelation of what he wills for you to have. When a sick man came to Jesus, Jesus never prayed, Father, if it be thy will, heal him. When he was faced with a need, Jesus never prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let these hungry people have bread to eat. When he was in the middle of the storm, Jesus never prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this storm go down, or else I go down. When Jesus was in the wedding of Canaan, they needed wine. He did not pray, if it be thy will, let this water turn to wine. Never. Only once Jesus prayed, if it be thy will. And when was it? It was in the garden of Gethsemane when he was faced with a choice. To go to the cross or not. And that was the only time he prayed. Lord, Father. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. The only time you as a believer have a right to pray. If it be thy will. Is in your garden of Gethsemane. Every time. Every other prayer outside of that. Must come from a conviction. Of the will of God. You must know it is God's will to heal. And you do not pray. If it be thy will heal. You say God heal. Because God's will is consistent with his nature. It is wrong to pray. If it be thy will heal this person. Jesus never prayed that way. What gives you the right to pray that way? I know I'm coming down hard. But faith is based on a conviction of the will of God. The only reason Jesus prayed in that garden of Gethsemane. saying Lord. If there's any other way that I could redeem man, mankind, I'll try to take that. But if this is the only way, I'm willing to go that way. When a sick person came to me, he never said, if it be thy will, he knew the Father's will. Be healed. In the middle of a storm, he didn't have to pray about the will of God. He knew it's God's will for you to have shalom. So he said, peace, be still. When people were hungry, he didn't have to pray about the will of God. He knew God was Jehovah Jireh. He multiplied five loaves and fed Thousands of people. He never said if it be thy will. So for you and me to pray if it be thy will in any other situation. Is the wrong way to pray. When you see a sick person. You don't have to pray to find out the will of God. You know the will of God. His will is consistent with his nature. He is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. Your job is to pray to the fulfillment of the will of God. God I want him healed. When there's a need, you don't have to pray, God, is it will, your will to meet the need. You need to know that it is Jeho- He is Jehovah Jireh. He wants to meet every need. He said, my God will supply all of your needs. You pray towards that. That's His will. Amen.
So faith is based on a conviction of the will of God. And when you know the will of God, God wants your will to come in alignment with His will. You know, many of us don't like that. We like to be neutral and God does not want you to be neutral. He either wants you to be yes or no. We like to play it safe. Lord, whatever you want. No, 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 no. God says, I want to engage your will. That's why Jesus said in John 15 verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you will. And it will be given you. Your will is involved. You've got to engage with God. With your will saying, God, I will what you will. What you want, I want. I'm going after it. It's not like, God, if you want it, good luck to you. I'll just come along. Your will must be involved, 100%. Amen? So you've got to engage with God's will. I know it's God's will to heal the sick, so let's go for it. I know it's God's will to meet the needs of people, so let's go for it. Get your will involved with God's will. Don't be neutral. Amen? Number three. To exercise faith, we must have focus. Faith must have a focus. Faith is not like, hey, Sarah, Sarah, whatever you give me, give me. Faith is not like that. Faith must have a focus. God, I am going after this. The Bible definition of faith, as we've seen in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says, faith is the substance of things for. I mean, clear-cut things that you're going after, you're deserving. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. So you've got to have a focus. You've got to have a, a desired outcome. It's like you're shooting with a, bow and, uh, with a bow and arrow. You know, you can't just, you know, just shoot somewhere and hope the arrow hits the target. Very likely it will not. You've got to aim. You've got to have focus. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. What are you going after with your faith? It must have focus. When the woman with an issue of blood came to touch the hem of his garment, she didn't come saying, you know, I will just touch the hem of his garment and anything in me that he gets healed, very good. Very focused. She knew she had a problem. Her focus, the focus of her faith was, when I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed from this thing. The Canaanite woman who came to Jesus for, on behalf of her daughter in Matthew 15, the disciples of Jesus tried to show her away, and Jesus himself wasn't very too open to her. But when she came to Jesus, her faith was so focused, so determined. My daughter has to be healed. Faith must have a focus. You just can't say, you know, I'm just believing God for something. What are you believing God? Can you describe it? Faith must have a focus. Jesus said it like this in Mark eleven twenty four. He said, what things soever you desire. What is it you desire? I have no desires. Awaken your desire. Have some dreams. Some goals. Some things that you're pursuing for the sake of the kingdom. Whatever you desire when you pray. Believe that you have received them. And you will have them. Amen. See, sometimes our theology is so wrong. We say, just eliminate all desires from your heart. Excuse me. You need desire to have faith. So, maintain that. 
Another next basic principle of faith is this, that faith must be exercised or released. We release faith in many different ways. You have faith in your heart, but having faith in your heart is like having an ATM card in your pocket. Until you go to the ATM and do something with that card, money will not come. So I got an ATM card, I'm so happy. Got an ATM card, I'm so happy. Wonderful, you have an ATM card. But until you go to the, the, the ATM machine, put the card in and do something, money will not come. Got faith in your heart, very good. Got faith in your heart, very good. It's like having an ATM card in your pocket. You need to exercise it. How do you exercise faith? There are some ways that you and I know that we can exercise faith as we see in the word of God. One way to exercise faith is to pray. In prayer, in talking to God, you release your faith. And God recognizes that you have faith. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22, Jesus said, All things whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. All things whatever you ask in prayer. So, you're going before God. You're, you're, you're using your ATM card, so to speak. Pardon the very poor analogy here. But you're, you're going before God. You've got faith in your heart. You know God will meet that need. You know God will answer. And you go to God and say, God, this is what I ask. All things that you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So how do you exercise faith? One way to do it is through prayer. Another way to do exercise your faith is through the spoken word. The words you speak release your faith in God. Jesus put it across to us like this in Matthew 17 and verse 20. He said, if you have faith, even like a mustard seed, you speak to your mountain. Speak to your mountain. Many of us make the mistake of speaking about our mountain, how big it is, how wide it is, how wide, how, you know. But he said, don't talk about your mountain. You talk to the mountain. Call the pastor. Tell him how big your mountain is. It's not going to move. You talk to your mountain. Speak words of faith to your mountain. What must you tell the mountain? Be removed. Be cast into the sea. Command your mountain to move. Speak to your circumstance. Speak to your situation. He said, if you have faith, you will speak to the mountain. Tell it to move. And it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And Jesus demonstrated that to us. When there was... The, the storm and the sea, he spoke to the winds and the waves. He spoke to wicked spirits of darkness. He commanded them to leave. He spoke to circumstances and situations. That's how he exercises faith. To the sick, he said, be healed. So the second way we exercise our faith is by the words of our mouth, by, by releasing words of faith in the name of Jesus. A third way we exercise faith is by our actions, by, by what we do. By our actions. If you believe it, do it. Act on it. James says it like this. He says in James 2.17, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is lifeless. If you do not, do not have corresponding actions to what you say you believe, it's as good as not having it. It's dead. And he says, show me your faith without works, but I will show you my faith 
through my works, by what I do. And then he points us to Abraham. He says, look at Abraham. He had great faith in God. But even Abraham was perfected in his faith by his works. Meaning his faith was brought to maturity as he acted it out. As he lived and walked in accordance to that faith. So you have faith. Act it out. Great example is in Mark 2 when, when these four friends bring their paralyzed friend to, uh, to, the, to this room. Uh, to this house where Jesus was preaching. And uh, they couldn't get in that morning or afternoon, whenever it was, Jesus was preaching. So they climbed up to the roof. They tore it open, the tiled roof. They lowered their friend through the roof. And the Bible says, Jesus saw their faith. How did he see their faith? For what they did. They went to this extent to get their friend to Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. So another way to let God see your faith is by what you do. You believe God will get your job, get your resume done, send it out, apply, go for interviews. Don't sit at home and fast and pray. I mean, do pray. But he needs to see some action to your faith. Amen? Act your faith. What do you believe? Go do it. Step out on your faith. Let God see your faith. And then God honors it. Another way to release our faith, the last one, is to pray through thanksgiving and praise. By giving thanks to God. By giving praise to God. Jesus demonstrated that for us. You know, when he was in John 6, he was, as he was about to feed these several thousand people sitting before him with his five loaves and two pieces of fish. The Bible says, he gave thanks to God. For whom? He wasn't saying, God, I give you thanks for this food for me. He was going to feed 5,000 plus people. And he gave thanks. Five loaves, two fish. I don't know what he prayed. It's not recorded. But you can just imagine, Father, thank you. That everybody's going to eat. Be happy, be filled. And there are going to be many baskets left over. Amen. Distribute. He gave thanks to God. Standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. In John chapter 11 and verse 41. Jesus says this. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Lazarus is inside the tomb. Been there for four days. And Jesus is standing in front of the tomb and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Meaning, I know what the result's going to be. I mean, you've already heard my prayer. And then he continues, he's saying, Father, and I'm saying this not for my sake, but for the sake of these people around me, so that they will know that you have sent me. That when this miracle happens, it happens because of you. So he says, imagine standing in front of the tomb. Father, thank you that you've heard me. What's he thanking God for? Everybody else is crying. But Jesus is saying, thank you. You heard me. That's faith. Faith gives thanks to God. Gives praise to God. Before the answer comes. Amen. You thank him. 
Another way of re releasing your faith. You say, Father, I thank you for meeting my need. I thank you for making this provision. I thank you for this door that's open. But you say, but the door hasn't been opened. That's what Jesus did. He was standing in front of a closed tomb. Lazarus was still dead. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. He wasn't thanking after Lazarus came, became alive. He was thanking before he could even say, Lazarus, come forth. So follow Jesus. Give thanks to God before your miracle. Give thanks to God before the, your, 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 your answer to prayer comes. Because that is a way you exercise faith and you tell God, God, I'm absolutely certain that you are on my side. That your word is true. That you will make your promise good in my life. I'm absolutely certain. And so I'm just thanking you for it in advance. I'm praising you for your faithfulness. I'm praising you for your goodness. God, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number five, another basic principle is that faith believes before it sees. Faith believes before it sees. You know, faith is not waiting for the answer to come and then say, oh, I had great faith. No, faith believes before it sees. And the Bible definition of faith is this. In Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, faith is the conviction of things not seen. You're absolutely convinced of it even before you see it. The Amplified Bible says it this way, faith perceives as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith perceives as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith believes before it sees. So how can you do that? Be an imitator of God. The Bible tells us, be imitators of God. And what does God do? Romans 4 says that the God we serve is a God who calls things that be not as though they were. So just be an imitator of God. Call things that do not exist as though they did. Why? Because of faith. Faith believes before it sees. And lastly, faith must have endurance. Hebrews 6, 12, you saw this verse the last time. That through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. So there are times and situations where you're having faith in God. And you have to endure through time. You don't quit. Because you know what you're pursuing. And you know the God in whom you believe. Faith must have endurance. You believe it. There's a passage of time. But you stand firm in your faith. Till you see the outcome manifested here on earth. Amen. I want to close with two more thoughts here to just to uh, bring a completeness to this understanding of faith. I want to talk about principles and presence. Principles and presence. We've been talking about the principles of faith and principles are good. But God is greater than the principles he gave to us. The principles are not for God. The principles are for us. Are you with me? The principles do not dictate terms to God. The principles are for us to know how to walk with God. But the presence of God is superior to the principles of God. So what do you mean? Look at it from the natural side. God... Set in place the principle of gravity. 
or the law of gravity. But when he wants, he can walk on water. He can have Peter walk on water. So his presence supersedes the principles. To feed 5,000 people, you may need several bakeries and seven weeks advance notice. But when it's his presence, it only requires five loaves and two fish. The presence supersedes the principle. Take, for example, in a, in a gathering like this, you know, we are all worshiping God and it comes, in our, it comes into the church, somebody who, who knows nothing about Jesus, never read his Bible, he doesn't know the promises of God, nothing. And he's in this presence, he's in this environment of worship where the anointing of God is and where uh, uh, the, the, the glory presence of God is. And he comes in there, he comes sick and hurting in his body and he just gets healed. And then you say, wait a minute, pastor, you told us faith has principles. Principle number one. The promise of God. This guy doesn't know anything about the promise of God. Principle number two. He must be convinced about the will of God. He knows nothing about the will of God. Principle number three. He has focused. His mind was wandering. Wondering what all these people are doing. How come he got healed? The presence is superior to the principles. In his presence, God can override any of his principles. Why must we know that? Because sometimes we get so tight on the principles, we think we can control God by his principles. Or we try to explain God from his principles. Listen, the principles are for you and for me, beings that need some guidance. But what must we do? We must practice the principles, but pursue the presence. Pursue the presence of God. When you carry the presence of God, things happen way beyond the principles. Way beyond. Practice the principles, but pursue the presence. Do we all understand this? What are we after? The presence of God. We must understand the principles and so we know what to do, how we are supposed to live, how we can engage with God and, and how we can affect the earthly realm with the, with the power of the spiritual realm and all that. We must understand the principles. But remember this, the presence of God is much greater than the principles. Our focus must be on the presence of God. Pursue Him. Because when He shows up, you know, your principles don't really matter. But all of the times, all of the principles. Amen? I want to close with this last thing. There are boundaries to our faith. There are perimeters within which we operate faith. And, and there are realms that we should not step into. We cannot step into. First, understand that faith cannot override another person's will. You cannot control another person's will with your faith. And I think many of us get into trouble in this area. You cannot override another person's will with your faith. Faith allows you to deal with the circumstances, the situations of life, with the powers of darkness, with what they're doing, the elements of the earth. But faith can never override another person's will. 
The human will, the free freedom of choice is so important to God that even God himself never overrides human will. I mean, can you imagine if God wanted to, when Eve was going to pluck that fruit, he could have just sent a lightning, zoop, the fruit disappeared. No fruit to eat. Humanity is safe. I mean, if God wanted to, he could have done that. And Eve might have tried another fruit and zoop, it's gone. But you know what? God was watching. Adam and Eve having this conversation and Eve going and, and the, the, the serpent, Satan comes in, deceives Eve and Eve goes and plucks the fruit. And she bites into it. And God does not intervene. Why? He respects your free will. Go which way you want. God will respect your will. Way before Eve sinned, there was a beautiful being called Lucifer. Filled with all wisdom and beauty. And God had created, anointed him. He was the archangel, anointed cherub. I wonder, he said, I will ascend. And God never stopped him. In the sense, you want to do it? Try. But you can't get my throne, God said. But he didn't override Lucifer's will. Neither the will of all the angels wanted to go with him. God respects human will. And so you and I must understand that through our faith, we cannot control the other person's will. Now all the young guys and girls say, I, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command that girl to marry me. Doesn't work. You cannot control the other person's will through your faith. That's when you pray, if it be thy will. Never override the other person's will. So in matters where, when you're praying about things, where the will of another person is involved, you need to understand that faith has its limits. You cannot override his will. If a drunkard doesn't want to give up his drunkenness, I mean, you can cast every devil out of him. But if his will is to go and drink, he will drink. You can't manipulate his will through your faith. You can pray for him, you can minister to him, you can counsel him, you can cast all the devils out of him. But he has to make a choice. With the strength that God gives him, I'm moving away from drunkenness. And the second one is very easy to understand. By faith, you can never alter, you can never change God's plan and purpose for the human race. You can change it. You can't say, come on, we're all going to pray together that Jesus will come by 4 o'clock today. You can pray, you can speak words of faith, you can act like he's coming today, and you can even praise that he's coming today. But he will come at the appointed time. You can't change that with your faith. You can't change it with our faith. You can't alter the plan of God for the human race with our faith. There are some things faith cannot do. There are boundaries to the exercise of our faith. I want to just repeat this statement and close. Live by the principles, but pursue the presence of God. And when the, God, when the presence of God comes, follow the presence, abandon the principles. Now, if you are evangelical, you'll call it the sovereign move of God. If you're Pentecostal, you'll call it revival. If you're charismatic, you'll call it anointing. If you're a prophetic person, you'll call it the glory of God. If you're a post-prophetic, you'll call it the outpouring. I mean, use whatever terminology you want. It simply means God has come. 
And when God comes, pursue his presence. Because he may just choose to override his principles. Amen. And we must pursue him, his presence. Live by the principles, operate the principles. But he is greater. It's him that we are after. Why don't you take a few moments just to pray before the Lord this morning. And uh, release your faith. The things that you might be standing, believing God for. There's nothing wrong in it. Operating the principles God gave it to us. So use them. We seek His presence. But use the principles. Nothing wrong with that. So this moment. If you're standing in need and standing believing God for something. I just want you to release your faith for it. Even if you've done it before, it's okay. We're together now. Let's join our hearts. Believing God for healing. Building God for an open door. Building God for an intervention in your life. Will you take this moment just to act on what you've heard? All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Jesus gave thanks. He said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. So give thanks to the Lord. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.